Hello, welcome to episode 20 of For The Record. Uh, my name is Sean Tierney, thanks for joining us today. Uh, with me, as usual, is Mr. Zach Buggy. How are you, man? I'm not too bad, man. Our podcast is one episode away from being legally allowed to drink in the States. That's for sure. It's weird. It's cool. Uh, it's been a strange and interesting journey. And after our... Um, after our last couple episodes, particularly our first fan request, where we just decided to demolish the album that was requested, uh, things are only going to get more interesting. Yeah, that was just, you know, that was just poor circumstances, really, wasn't it? I mean, out of all the albums that could have been pitched, I mean, sometimes I find random things and I love them. And sometimes I find random things and I go on hour long tirades about how, like, the band should stop making music. But, you know, that's just, <laughs> it's just the way it goes. Yeah. But um, for our 28th episode, we're going to do something just a little bit different. And this is something we're going to try and do a little bit more of, I think, where rather than just discuss a single album a week or do our roundup episodes or whatever, we're going to take a topic and like get into it a little bit more. Because as big of music fans as we are, we think about music kind of in relation to almost every aspect of our life. And, you know, these things are important to us. And hopefully that there's some fellow music nerds out there who these topics will also be important to. Uh, is that a kind of nice way of summing up what kind of our reasoning for doing the topics? I, I was just about to say that was basically a really sugar-coated way of saying that we're big film nerds as well. <laughs> that's only specific to today, though. Um, yes, that's true. Yeah. I don't know what we're like. I mean, we we may get, if we, if we start to get real niche into our niche interests, there may be, you know, like, we could wind up at like episode 2000, which, you know, the 30 greatest grindcore songs to play when you're practicing axe throwing. But like that, that's some time down the line, you know. See, unfortunately, though, like, I mean, axe throwing is typically last like half an hour. So 30 grindcore songs isn't going to cut it. Like, you know, you're going to have to repeat them all like four times. Yeah, that's true, actually. I didn't think about that. So uh, so we have to go for the 120 excuse. best grindcore songs to play with X-Drawing. That, that, that is a good point. I mean, the I was watching the Needle Drop review, the new Worm Rot album, mm. Hiss, last night, which I haven't listened to yet. It's but, very know, good. Is it? It's very good, yeah. But I love when, you know, he mentions that, like, the album's 33 minutes. And I was like, holy shit, a grindcore band with a 33-minute... And then he mentioned that it was, like, 26 or 27 tracks or something. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, was that like, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It would it would fucking have to be. Because, I mean, like, let, let, let's look at one of my all-time favourite albums, Plague Soundscapes by The Locust. It's 23 tracks, and I think it's 21 minutes long. <laughs> That's yeah, but- when you know you stuck on art, like. The Locust really did, they do get into that like brand of extremity where it's like, yeah, we have more tracks than minutes on this record. Like, you know what I mean? They were the most confusing band ever, man. Even The Locust, I mean, their last album, New Erections, was like 23 minutes, but it was only like 11 songs. So, I mean, do the math. That means they had to write some actual songs that were about, two three fucking minutes which were epics in their in their game and yeah that that was when they got like pure slimy grindy and you know what i'm going to stop myself because we (laughs) do an episode on the locust Uh, we definitely will yeah i'm going to nip that in the bud right now um so as you kind of alluded to briefly earlier uh what we're going to talk about today and this is inspired this is not an original concept this is inspired 
almost completely by the impact Stranger Things has had on the charts uh, with the resurgence of Running Up That Hill by Kate Butch and Master of Puppets by Metallica. So we're going to discuss three of our favourite moments of music in film or TV. Um, are you into Stranger Things? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny. Really quickly, okay, before we get into the the meat and potatoes of today, <laughs> Str- Stranger Things. My relationship it, it seems to be similar to a, a lot of people online. I think where I loved season one. Oh, no, I didn't watch season one for like maybe two weeks, and then saw all the hype build about it, and was like, oh, I have to check out this show. And then I watched it, and I absolutely loved it. I just thought it was fantastic. It, mm-hmm. it was like. Close Encounters meets The X-Files meets Stephen King and I'm all about that shit so I really loved it then season 2 happened and season 2 was grand it was grand it it was kind of the exact same formula and I was a little underwhelmed and then season 3 happened after a big bit of a wait and I thought season 3 was very ho-hum and I'm not I don't think any of it's been bad but I thought season 3 was I I really felt kind of we were getting into a, a bit of a big CGI monster with no personality comes along and everyone has to band together in separate units. And I was, and I know that's the formula, but I still feel you can be a bit fresh with your formula. And, and then, long story short, new season came out. I had no interest at all. I was a bit fatigued from it. And everyone, and I saw that all the episodes were really long and that made me kind of go, hmm, maybe they've taken a long time. The episodes are really long. Maybe they're trying something a bit different here. And then I heard everyone talking about it and I was just kind of thinking, Do you know what, I, I, I'm a bit of a completionist and I'm three seasons deep, I'm going to stick with it. And I went back and within like two or three episodes, I said to myself, this is the best season they've done. And I haven't finished it. I haven't seen. Oh, shit. <laughs> I haven't seen volume two. Okay. The, the last two episodes, the two really long ones. Yeah. But because the internet doesn't give anyone a moment's fucking peace, mm-hmm. I am well aware of the Metallica segment in the final episodes. I don't know the ins and outs at all. I've avoided yeah. it as I can, but I do know that there is a scene with Master of Puppets performed at an integral moment, and that's all I know, and I've avoided everything else. But, yeah, this new season has totally rekindled my love for it. I think it's the darkest, best season they've done because they've leaned into the horror, they've leaned into the violence. It's Some of it is a completely complete and utter shameless ripoff from it by Stephen King but those Stephen King it movies suck ass and I love the book so in a way in a weird way even though this is ripping off it it's actually a better film <laughs> dualization of it than the fucking it movies are so I forgive it for that it's almost like they feel like no nah, we want to take these elements from the it, from the it book that are so dope and and make them scary because they're not scary in, in the movies uh but I but now I'm I can't wait to finish the latest season and I, I really thought when I started this I was for some reason I convinced myself this was the last season but then now I found out they are doing I was the exact season. same yeah I thought this was the last season, but there's another one, which I am all about. I I fucking love Stranger Things. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I'm so in on it. I think it's got one bad episode. It's that episode where Eleven goes off. And, Everyone you know, talks about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, I like, whatever. Like, But I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. And I've really, really enjoyed season four. And yeah, what I didn't enjoy though was, and this is something I think we, we kind of discussed and that we wanted to discuss on the podcast as well was when people... God forbid you get into a band you've never heard of. Like when people started discovering Metallica or Kate Bush via Stranger Things, they were met with a chorus of gatekeeping wankers. 
And I like everyone has to find music from something. The first thing I think I said to you was that I have a sneaking suspicion that like the guys who are the, the majority of people who are gatekeeping Metallica right now and giving young people shit for finding Metallica through Stranger Things is the same people. It, they're not people who bought Master of Puppets when it came out. They're people who got into Metallica in like 1999. Yeah. They're, people, they're people like us, a little bit older than us, maybe. I, I mean, I, I got into Metallica... I, I think I was like nine, eight mm. or nine, maybe maybe ten, and and I saw them twice growing up, and they were like my big en- like entry band into metal, and but you know it, it for some reason I have a sneaking suspicion that it's guys in my generation, maybe two or three years older than me, who because they feel like they discovered Metallica before they had broadband internet, they get a right to gatekeep the band because they bought them on CD or something. I'm like, no one has a right to gatekeep them, but I'm like, dude, the only people who literally, if ever, have a right to gatekeep Metallica are the guys who bought puppets on cassette and vinyl the day it came out. The and only people, guys- the only person who has a right to gatekeep Metallica is Ron McGovern, the original basis. <laughs> like, how fucking dare anyone try and stop someone getting into music? Like, I saw this, there was a meme doing the rounds, and it was like, how am I supposed to gatekeep Metallica and Kate Bush because of Stranger Things when my entire music taste is based off of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtracks and I was just like that is such straight facts like you know what I mean if we're quoting memes I saw a meme the other day that said you know uh, you know boomers Young people today listen to such shit, horrific music. Young people, start listening to boomers' music. Hey, hey what the fuck are you doing, young people? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so winning for them. <laughs> it's so dumb. This this idea that you have... Like, obviously, we all feel a certain sense of ownership over our bands. Like, you know, I mean, I saw Cancer Bats with fucking 50 people in Cork, and I'm like, they're my band forever. But at mm. the same time, like, I think we talked about it I think it was in reference to Turnstile, I'm not sure. But it's like, I want all my favourite bands to headline Glastonbury. Like, I want all my favourite bands to be the biggest bands in the world. Well, before like, we continue, I was actually, I'm going to just say it now, because I was going to bring up Turnstile in this conversation, that Turnstile are a prime example nowadays of people who, so many people are gatekeeping Turnstile. Some people are giving out about how big Turnstile have gotten. Man, I, I am like... I've seen people online literally complain, you know, oh, it's bullshit. Now you can't even get a ticket to a turnstile show. You have to be there at like a minute before they go on sale. If you leave it beyond the day they go on sale, they sell out. It's bullshit. They were my band. And now I have to compete with loads of other idiot posers in bigger venues. I'm like, dude, you that is the wrong. Can you not just be stoked that like it's a exactly. struggle to get a turnstile ticket now? I would exactly. much rather a band I love. I would much rather have to struggle and stress about getting a ticket for a 5,000 capacity venue, see a band I love, than knowing they're playing a 100 cap venue that I can buy a ticket for the day before the show because no one's going to go. That you can just I, walk into. Yeah, I would it's... much rather, ha- I'd I much rather see Turnstile have to announce second dates at venues because the tickets are flying out. I love the fact that when Turnstile dropped, the Turnstile Love Connection short film, which was basically four singles from Glow On at once. I love that Hayley Williams shared it. Tom DeLonge shared mm. it. And it was fucking Blink, Tom DeLonge fanatics and Hayley Williams worshippers who like 
very accessible pop punk and stuff like that who probably have a little predilection toward heavier stuff and never know where to look and they saw people that they admire who write music they've loved for years give like a like a glowing no pun intended recommendation to a hardcore band who are starting to tweak their sound and you and that and that full-on has led to turnstiles blow up and i love the the idea that there's young people not younger people who love like love Tom DeLonge and love Hayley Williams and love Paramore and Blink and Angels and Airwaves who have found Turnstile through Glow On and then and and it's blown their mind and maybe they've gone backwards found time and space and then found non-stop feeling and and even if they haven't no and even if, even, if they just streamed the shit out of Glow On like but what I'm saying is if they yeah if if they fall in love with everything or if they just fall in love with Glow On and they go see Turnstile Live at a festival or they, they really like Glow On and they end up like fucking being like, I've never really listened to hardcore punk. Yeah. You know, and, they may, and if it starts an addiction, it, it, whether Turnstile becomes the gateway for people into hardcore or they become the one hardcore, you know, th- that one snifter of hardcore they allow themselves. Mm. The idea that a band I loved who were like such a niche little thing blowing the living fuck up. Like I said, man, I, I, that, that gets me so happy. So the idea of attitude to be like, no, oh man, when I was, when I was 13, my, or my dad took me to Metallica my first time. Yeah. And I remember like singing along to a song and I, I'm just tiny little baby faced child. And I remember at one stage, cause I was on a balcony with my dad. Cause you know, he, he's just, he didn't trust those dirty gods. <laughs> And I, I remember like during battery or something. Nor should he. No, exactly. And then I look down and I'm like fist pumping, singing along. And dude, this like fucking 50, 60 year old odd, huge biker dude with this massive Alan Moore hair and beard just looks up at me like this fucking 13 year old geeky child. Like, and he sees I'm singing along. And he just points at me and starts singing along back with me. And I'm like, that's what he wasn't like. Oh, what the fuck? The children pretending yeah. to like. Man, the, the whole idea yeah. of gate. Oh, I yeah. think aside from like gatekeeping, it should all be gateways. Like fucking let people yeah. hear music. The idea that people have never heard Master of Puppets, like that's ridiculous to me and you. But that's where we come from. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that we like we like we've grown up with Master of Puppets. I mean, I've heard Master of Puppets. <laughs> I don't know how many times you know I know every beat of that song but like the I idea remember. that people who have never heard it are now like holy shit master of puppets that's so fucking cool man I remember being like literally at like 11 and going into a band practice room with two guys you'd know them two of the lads from Patricide back in the day oh yeah when they would have been like 13 and I was 11 or something and because I said I love singing metal and stuff and they were like do you know anything like puppets and you know and like you know like at like between 11 and 13 like my friends and I would go into a room and be able to play and sing all of puppets like but but to me like you said that idea of the idea of kids are like because uh, you know uh, you forget that you get older and there's younger generations under mm. you so, I mean I'm still the youngest person I know to me mentally so I mean back to- <laughs> the youngest man alive exactly yeah, so yeah. When, if there's kids at like 12 11 12 13 on their phones Spotify Netflix and they're watching Stranger Things and they hear Metallica for their first time and they're and maybe 
all they've ever heard is maybe half a Mastodon song at their girlfriend's brother's fucking room or something for, and they hear puppets. Yeah, uh, and uh, like, and it, and that blows their mind and fucking screams to them from forty odd years ago now, or how thirty, however old it is. I mean, nineteen eighty six. Nineteen eighty six. That to me is so dope. It's like, so like, cool, man. And like, it's and so like I cool. Said, it's a bit, and it's ridiculous that we almost have to have this conversation because that's how we fo- we found Metallica like twenty years after it had already come out anyway. Absolutely, do you know what I mean? And I, I just like, I think we could we could rant about gatekeepers for a long time, but I mean yeah. we're in a podcast solely because we enjoy telling people about music and talking about music. Like we are the anti gatekeeper. If you're gatekeeping kids who like Metallica or Kate Bush or anything for that matter, fuck off. Like, did you see that meme that was, you know, um, uh, hipsters who discovered Kate Bush in 2013 about to gatekeep? <laughs> yeah, founder in 2022 for that. Exactly. Like That's it's it, man. Yeah. it's so it's so accurate. Like ah, oh, I forget about it. Gatekeeping is the worst. But I do. You were like 25 who act like they were there. When the Smiths were there, you know? Yeah, I, I was know. there for the Smiths, man. No, you weren't, dude. Your dad was there for the Smiths. Like. Exactly. Exactly that. You know, it's uh, it's just the weirdest thing. Like, uh, I, 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 obviously, both of us are completely anti-gatekeeping. And if you're one of those people who's slagging off some young kid because they just heard Ma- Master of Puppets for the first time, where were you the first time you heard Master of Puppets? You know, you weren't in fucking, you know, you weren't in Orange County watching Metallica play it live. No, you weren't. You were handed it by your your best friend's older brother or you heard it uh, on Kerrang! or something. You didn't, you did not discover Metallica, bro. So like, you know, get over yourselves, really. Like I literally, side note, first heard the name Metallica by a guy in school telling me, oh, because we used to sh- sh- trade CDs and he'd given me corn self-titled. And then he goes, oh, there's this band, Metallica, and they, they got in loads of trouble because they have this really controversial video where there's girls kissing each other at a party. <laughs> They're all drunk and, and all this. And it's called Whiskey in the Jar. And I remember going home and telling my dad, and my dad was like, that's a fucking Lizzie song. What are you talking about? I'm so confused. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's... and that's how I first, and, and then was, and then I think, and and yeah, and then go into a shop and see Kill 'em All because you know that thing when you you you're made aware of something, then you see it. You see it everywhere. See the Kill 'em All album cover and was like, oh, that looks scary. The Ooh, hammer, scary. Uh, and then like said it to one of the lads and like that, his older brother was like, oh yeah, and just comes down the stairs with like ride the lightning yeah. and puppets. And then and then a week later, or, like a month later, it was my birthday and I went and bought Injustice for All and and I started my journey, man. That's it. That's it. And I want as many people to start their fucking journey as possible. And if it's yes. off the back of Stranger Things, awesome. If it's off the back of their dad or their brother or their uncle or their sister or their aunt or whoever, that's awesome. If you want to listen to music, listen to whatever you want to listen to. But you know what? You can also, much older in your life, at gatekeeping age, find bands yourself through other movies that aren't Stranger Things, a hundred percent. Talk about now because I've got I've just looked at my list there, and most of the shit on my list are bands far beyond and before my time to f- discover them that I found through movies that I love. And really? When I, yeah, and when I and cool. I and songs that I songs and bands I've gone on to become a, a fan of that I learned through these fucking movies. And every time I watched a movie, I'm like, oh yeah, this is when I got into this band. And not once did anyone come to me and be like, bit late. 
bit late to want to get into this band now <laughs> just because you saw this like indie comedy and you like it. No one fucking came and ate my head off because no one gives a shit about like the bands I want to talk about. But when it's Metallica, people piss their fucking dicks like. Yeah, that's weird. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, But yeah, today we are going to talk about that. The, our top three musical moments in cinema. But I like I've loads of... I started thinking about this and I was like, oh man, I'm never going to come up with, with, with three. Like, and But it's like, I've loads and loads and loads. And this is where, this is where I know now that people are going to discover how much cooler you are than I am um, when it comes to movies. <laughs> your, your taste in movies is probably much cooler and more niche than mine. Um, but, because uh, honestly, a lot of mine are probably, um, they're probably fairly obvious, maybe, but they're just the ones that I love, you know, and the, the times yeah, that yeah. I, I saw them and I freaked out, you know, that kind of way. Um, so, yeah. Um, is there any, uh, like, we can both agree that the greatest musical moment in cinema is stuck in the middle from Reservoir Dogs. I mean, it's, it's just perfect. It's an incredible moment of foresight from Tarantino. It, suits the scene so perfectly takes this obscure you know 70s track puts it in an early 90s movie and it breeds a total new life into this song it's so perfect yeah it's the super sounds of the 70s you know it's Uh, just uh, but i will say i actually made a conscious decision not to (laughs) i was when i was doing up my list my top three i realized very quickly that i'm not going to be able to put Quentin Tarantino in there because I could do an entire top three Quentin Tarantino music film moments. A hundred percent. But I'm just talking about, you know, just in terms of the greatest one is probably like, it is, it's all perfect. But but like you, I, that one in Reservoir Dogs is outstanding, but then I also adore, uh, and these are just quick honorable mentions. Mm. Uh, um, Pulp Fiction. You could pick nearly any moment in Pulp Fiction music. Absolutely. But that scene with Uma Thurman dancing to You'll Be a Woman Soon uh, snorts the heroine. Amazing. It's just, it's, that's just unbelievable shit. Unbelievable. Like, like, artistry, I mean, like, oof. Ah. So, it's yeah, and, so great. And the soundtrack to From Dusk Till Dawn is just all real Mexicana, Texas, underground, country, weird shit. And, and there's just so many brilliant... Like I said, we could do a whole episode about... Absolutely. Like, 100% we could. ...in Tarantino films. So I've chosen to omit Tarantino from today's list. Cool. Um, before we get into like our top threes, is there any, any honourable mentions or whatever? Or have you... Well, I actually have... I have two dishonourable mentions. Okay, let me hear them. Okay, uh... First one is, I when I grew up, I used to, <laughs> you know, when you'd be obsessed with shit movies as a kid and you'd know they're shit movies. Yeah. I loved this. It was such a heap of shit. It was called The One with Jet Li. And oh, Jason yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like multiverse and he kills himself in every multiverse. Yeah, I remember it. Stronger, yeah. And there's a scene. There's a scene toward the end because it's about like the one Jet Li that's left and the evil Jet Li's trying to kill him and they're in this like steel mill or something. And I was about eight or nine. And at that time, I was obsessed with Infest by Papa Roach. Ah, that weren't album, we all? Weren't yeah, we all? That was my pre-Slipknot like Metal Gateway album. Really. Ah, cool. And I, I think it was, yeah, I think the first two I, I bought on my eighth birthday, I bought Infest by Papa Roach and the self-titled Wheatus album. And I think that that's says it day. all about... Yeah, that says it all about where my music taste went. I yeah. woke up 
my parents gave me two packs of those penguin dippers. So they were like penguin <laughs> biscuits with chocolate dip. And then they gave me a Roxy Records voucher and I went down and got Papa Roach and Wheatus. And I remember I mean, that still, man, because that was a grade eight birthday, bro. That is a but, quality birthday. Exactly. <laughs> fucking telling me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm yearning for those days right now. <laughs> uh, but what the fuck was I talking about? The, Jet Li, the one. Jet Li, the one. So yeah. There's a scene toward the end of that movie where Blood Brothers by Papa Roach comes on and it's just like din, 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 din. and I remember my my you know, I think it was one of my first instances of like um, a song that only I knew. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Every film I had watched to eight years old, action, whatever, all the songs were popular songs that everyone knew and were on the radio and that were yeah. used in films. This is the first time it was a song that I knew I was the only person in the fucking room that knew this song in a film. I and that and that to me, even though it's a shit song and it's a shit film, I still <laughs> love that I remember being like, that's like that's Blood Brothers off, that's track nine off of fucking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I blew my fucking mind. And the other one really quickly is so I'm assuming anyone who's listening to this you know is the kind of a, a, at least of our generation so they'll all know what extra vision was you know <laughs> back in the video rental days and I remember just as like DVDs were coming in and they were basically selling all their videos in extra vision in these bins mm -hmm. for like 20 fucking cent or whatever it was and I pick, I, and I love horror films. Like always have, always will. I have a Shutter account, and uh, I, and I and I and it's like I'm glad because horror movies. When I was a kid, I became desensitized to by the time I was 13. And now we live in a generation where all the horror filmmakers are kids who were me, mm. who were desensitized. So now they make horrible, horrific films, and and I sleep soundly because I that that's my shit. That's how I get my rocks off. So I bought this horror film called Horror in the Attic, okay. and it. It looked way scarier than it was. It was a shitty made-for-TV horror film. Uh, Jeffrey Coombs, I think his name is, the this actor, he's in the Reanimator films. And, oh, uh, yeah. yeah he's, he's not as popular anymore. And he, he's like the only... And Seth Green are in it. Like real straight video, early, not late 90s, early yeah, 90s. Yeah. Shit, low budget, makes no sense. But I remember, I think I watched it once and then like it's, it, it, I think it's literally in my attic. Oh, you know, it's called Horror in the Attic. But I remember watching it. This is no joke, man. Like lying in my bed. I must have been 15, 14, 15. I'm lying in my bed and I just kind of watch about two thirds of the way through the movie. And I'm just like, this is shit. Like, Because I used to have a video player in my room. And I remember just kind of just about to nod off. And I shit you not. Of all the fucking songs you could ever think to pop up in a horror film. Sugar Coated Sour by the Dillinger Escape Plan. Get the fuck. No, I am 100% serious. And like, it's like a scene where he has a nightmare and it's all this frantic imagery. And I was just about to fall asleep and all I heard was like, what round again, Price? And I like shut up and I was just like, what the fuck? And, and it goes on for about 45 seconds. Oh, no like, Yeah, yeah. The first new practical minute of Sugar Coated Tower in the middle of this horror film in this dream sequence segment. I had never been more confused in my life. That's incredible.
you know it full well that was some stoner heezy jeeby fucking guy who'd been hired to do the sound and he was just like this movie sucks like, <laughs> we need a song for the dream sequence I- I've got a fucking song for the I've got a song for these cunts <laughs> yeah yeah literally I- I'm gonna try and find it and I'll send it to you but yeah Sugarcoated Sour Dillinger Escape Plan in a Seth Green horror film called Horror in the Attic that That's is the most awesome bewildering confusing out of left field dishonorable mention I could bring to the table before we get stuck into the real Fair. Um I'll run through really quickly some of mine because like I said once I started thinking about it I actually came up with a good few um, yeah. the Your Demise poster in 30 minutes or less is always just one I'm like how is this in a Jesse Eisenberg Danny McBride movie how That's is this poster in the background I I can never figure it out I love it though poster is one of the best parts of the movie <laughs> It's not that great of a movie. It's not, but Danny McBride delivers a really brilliant, like, bartering on racist line where he goes, shit's about to get real for you, Slumdog. And I just, I nearly <laughs> died. That's awful as fuck. Like. I nearly died when I uh, I heard him say that. It's just his delivery is so brilliant. Um, now, before you continue as well, a quick, uh, a quick, really nerdy aside. Uh, your, the Your Demise poster in 30 Minutes or Less, that's almost as much of an Easter egg to me as I'm not sure if I've to- I think I've told you this before that and we I, I, it's fresh in my head because we got a reissue of it back into work recently Arctic Monkeys have this EP that came out like only a few months after their debut album because mm-hmm. they just wanted to capitalize on the momentum of, of like how huge they were getting and the EP is called Who the Fuck Are Arctic Monkeys mm-hmm. and uh, the cover is a picture of a mirror uh, in a green room in a venue and it says like in like spray paint or tipex on the mirror who the fuck are arctic monkeys but around the mirror you know it's all graffiti and shit because it's a green room venue like the stickers yeah. everywhere and well if you look on the wooden frame of the mirror on the bottom panel of it in permanent marker in all caps mike kinsella the front the singer guitar player from american football and he was the drummer in captain jazz and everything it literally says mike kinsella is a man child what so every time I see this Arctic Monkeys EP, my attention is immediately drawn to just the Mike Kinsella is a man child. And that is full on has to be the Mike Kinsella from American football that that's talking about. That's right? hilarious, man. Yeah. So it's like an, it's like an American football Mike Kinsella swipe dig in joke <laughs> hidden on an Arctic Monkeys EP cover. It's just so bizarre. To that's me, like. so bizarre. Um Sorry, keep going with your, your uh, this honor- this band are going to come up a couple of times. Uh, here comes your man in five hundred days of summer with just the the zeal. Jordan Joseph Gard Levitt sings it is just hilarious. The uh, I also absolutely love uh, that bit. I, I I didn't put it in, but you know that bit in five hundred days of summer when <laughs> when he he really likes her, but he hasn't spoken to her yet, mm. and he he gets onto the lift with her mm-hmm. and. He's like got his headphones on and he's listening to the Smiths and she goes, I love the Smiths. And he kind of like takes one headphone off, kind of like, what? And she goes, the Smiths. I love the Smiths. You're listening to the Smiths. To die by your side is such yeah. a heavenly way to die. I love them. The lift opens and she walks out and he just puts the earphone back on. He's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. That moment, it takes him a minute and then it clicks. He's like, fuck, she likes the fucking Smiths. Like, fuck. It's brilliant. Like, oh, it's um... a cracking Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous when they're all after falling out and then this song comes on and they all start singing that's, it. It's, that's the, like, the, 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 uh, that's, I'd say if I'm speaking 
I'm going to go out on a limb and speak for my father here. That's definitely one of my dad's top three music. Uh, films. It's so great. It's so Perfect. great. It's one um, of the best uses of music probably in a film ever. It's that's fantastic. Just, yeah. That's almost too, I like that you put that as an honorable mention because that's almost too, we, that's almost just has to get out of the way before we get into the conversation. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, another mention for the Pixies, uh, Whereas my mind at the end of Fight Club is always it's fucking fantastic. Uh, the Matrix, Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine, awesome. Um, Although that that the I remember the end the first time. Uh, by the way, great shout out for the end of Fight Club. I I really feel like we're kind of we're we're getting through the Empire top twenty. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, first, you know. Yeah, because we're we're just in case anyone's going to be like, how the fuck do you not mention? We're aware that like we're we're getting through all of the obvious ones that are just classics. Yes. But, there's the you just mentioned uh wake up in the matrix yeah and i remember seeing the matrix and loving it and it blowing my mind and my brother kind of just being like wake up by rage against the machine is just cashmere by led Led zeppelin Zeppelin. overdrive and distortion yeah it's it's the exact same exact same hilarious yeah, uh, and, and that's balls. That that's art. That's that when you take someone's riff and just repackage it a little and turn it into a completely different song for a different generation. That is art. Um, Hurt by Nine Inch Nails in Rick and Marty is just amazing. It comes at this really like emotionally hefty part of the series, and it's it's pretty devastating. I mean, Hurt is that, devastating on its own, you know, but that, it's it's brilliant. That moment, and there's another scene when Rick tries. To, he, it's like he half hours tries to kill himself, even though he's not really trying to. But it, but and this Ariel Pink song is playing in the background. Mm. That and the hurt moment were the two moments I realized watching Rick and Morty that I was like, oh, this is. This is a Bojack scenario again where I got lured in with shiny colors and yeah. swear words, and now I'm going to be made to think about my fucking feelings. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, in a well, completely I, I, devastating I, fashion. And now I'm invested, so I'm going to keep coming back and getting hurt more. Yeah. Uh, another third mention for the Pixies, uh, Hey in Zack and Miriam Ekaparno, when Seth Rogen yeah. is heading off with Katie Morgan and Elizabeth Banks is watching him. And, ah, oh, so good. Tingles, tingles. Tingles. Um, and my final uh, honourable mention is, you mentioned like, you know, offbeat indie comedies and you hear a band for the first time. Well, there was this absolutely dreadful movie. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it was pitched as a comedy or a drama or what, but it's called The Lifeguard, starring Kristen Bell, who is just one of my um, celebrity crushes. I just adore her. But That's Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars, yeah. Oh, yeah um, when I was a kid, I was like, obsessed with Veronica Mars. Man. And I'm, I, well, I'm, I'm far from a kid and I'm still obsessed with Kristen Bell. Um, and... That was the first time I heard Frightened Rabbit. Um, Swim Until You Can't See Land is on that. And it was just like perfect. It really, really works well in the context of that movie. It's not, I don't, I don't want to dwell too, too much on Frightened Rabbit. Rabbit. No, me neither. Yeah. One of, yeah. They're one one of my all time favorites and met them and and then, yeah. Yeah. yeah, We'll, we'll deep, we'll deep dive them one of these, one of these other days, but. By God, we will. But that, but that, first that song you just mentioned it wasn't actually through the film that i found them that was one of those fell fall asleep on the couch as a teenager and woke up with enemies on the tv okay. and 
three in the morning, two in the, whatever time, but just before enemy would turn off and swim until you can't see land was on. And it just, just captured my fucking soul. Oh, it's such a brilliant song. Amazing. Oh, I actually, I'm kind of getting a little shivery thinking about it. I, yeah, yeah adore it. Um, so on to our top threes. Um, would you like to give me your number three? Before I get into the top three, this is one okay. point. <laughs> Honorable mention that isn't kind of it's kind of an outlier. Wedding singer, uh, <laughs> the somebody kill me song. Oh yeah, that Sandler sings. To yeah, the yeah. Drew Barrymore because and I mean there's actually a really like lovely romantic song he sings at the end of the film as well. But I think it's so funny and just works on so many levels when he's really just starting to get to know Drew Barrymore. And then she kind of says, do you, do you not write your own songs? And he goes, yeah, and she goes, play me one. And <laughs> it's like, Tyrod, and he goes, the, the song's message might be a little mixed up because I haven't revised the lyrics. And I wrote the first half of it when I was with my ex. And then I wrote the other half after we split. And I was listening to a lot of The Cure at the time. And, you know, and it starts like that super like, you know, uh, you'll never know how much I need you now that you're God, I feel so blue. You'll never know how much I love you. And he's like, but it all was bullshit. It was a goddamn joke. And when I think you, Linda, I hope you fucking choke. Pretty, pretty, please kill me. I want to die. And the fact is like that movie is so, that was came at a time in the 90s when everyone knew Sandler is like the funny, obnoxious, loud man. Yeah. And in the movie singer, he's so quiet. And he's so quaint and he has and he has these outbursts and he's trying and it's a little more of a subtle, slightly more dramatic role, which I, I love when he does. But then that bit is just letting him leave out the fucking inner and Sandler nut. And then you have John Lovitz at, at the side of the stage who'd made the joke already. Oh, you're the wedding singer at the nervous breakdown. I hope you're doing better. And, and then he hears Sandler singing the song and he's like, he's losing his mind and I'm reaping all the benefits. <laughs> And I, just, and I just, and I actually will go on Spotify sometimes and just throw that song on because I think it's fucking hilarious. And I've, I've said before, like, I love comedy albums. I love Bo Burnham, The Lone yeah, Guy, yeah. Chong, Adam Sandler. I'm a big fan of all that shit. And, but I actually love going back and listening to that because I just think it's such a funny, subtle piss take on sad songs, emo songs, The Cure. I just, and, and I think it just comes, and it's such an iconic moment within the But films. it works so brilliantly in the movie as well like, you know that's it kind is. of what we're talking about today like you know it's yeah. just it's that kind of turning point in the film and it's really like it's a really vital part it's integral to the story like yeah no I just I love it and so like I almost that's a great off. shout yeah so that was going to be three but I decided because of its slightly different nature that could be an outlier but three that's fair three has to be old school Will Ferrell singing Dust in the Wind by Kansas at Blue's funeral. I can't, I can't tell you how funny that this is because will you hear my number three? Oh God. Yeah. So that, that scene just because like uh, old school, like I'm sure most people have seen it. Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Luke Wilson, uh, made by Todd Phillips, who's gone on to make like Joker, Joker, yeah, which is quite bizarre. And like did the Hangover trilogy, but when he did, old school saw it as a kid and loved it. But that that scene always stuck with me because like so yeah, brilliant. Because it's even the way through the hazing, the way they have that scene, your citizen blue, and it's like Full Metal Jacket and Will Ferrell, blue, you're my boy. Yeah. I want anything happen to you, blue. And blue dies. It just will. I like. I remember my brother pointing it out that the funniest part of that whole scene is that 
it isn't Will Ferrell singing and crying. It's the dude that they get to play the acoustic guitar part. And he's just stone faced. Yeah. He's got the aviator shaped and he's stone. And like, how do you fucking play that song stone faced with Will Ferrell just screeching it next to you? And they do, it goes on for like a minute and a it's half. Absolutely brilliant. You're my boy, Blue. That's Blue, such a great boy. shout. Yeah, old school. That if anyone, like I could recommend that film solely just, just for, for that, that moment. That scene with Will and Ferrell. Blue just before it says, "Ring the fucking bell, pussy." <laughs> Ring the fucking bell, pussy. It's so great. <laughs> and then just and you have the dude just standing there. He's about twenty, just somber and stone faced. Uh. And Will Ferrell just and <laughs> he's so gentle, and then he just starts. Ah, uh, it's actually for that's one of those early noughties comedy gold moments. It really is. 100%. That's an absolutely brilliant shout to kick us off, Mr. Buggy. So, in a in a hilarious turn of events, your number three was Dust in the Wind by Kansas as sung by Will Ferrell. Yeah. My number three is also by Kansas. Uh, Carry on my wayward son and it's repeated use in Supernatural as like at the end of every season, they do a recap of the season and it starts with the road so far and then carry on my wayward son. It's so great. And uh, that was where I first heard Supernatural gatekeeping or where I first heard Carry on my wayward son gatekeepers. Um, Carry on my wayward son has become genuinely without irony without any like you know trying to be like oh it's so funny literally one of my all-time favorite songs and the first time i've heard it was in supernatural is a show that i absolutely love like i would have supernatural in my top you watch supernatural watch it man i adore that shit never watched supernatural in my life it's like it's not you know, it's not Breaking Bad. Like, I know that. But I fucking love it. And I always have. It's like, I don't know why. Um, I think it's because my brother was into it. My my dad was into it. So we all kind of used to talk about how much crack it was. Like, you know. And it's just yeah, a yeah. silly, it's a silly show. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. And there's kind of liberal use of, like, classic rock in it. And it's just that use to carry on my wayward son. It will forever etch that song in my mind. Um, they use it at the end of every series and it's just absolutely perfect. A perfect song being perfectly used in a far from perfect TV series. I think the one show that brought like my family together was The Sopranos. Oh yeah, that's another one where it could have got mentioned. Oh, Carnation Street. What a legendary show. <laughs> yeah, boy, you can't, you can't fuck a Carnation Street, man. Yeah, um, so that's that hilarious that yours was Kansas and my number three was also Kansas. Fucking A, big shout out Kansas, man. Ah, they're the best, man. Uh, there's a great movie called Garden State. With, oh, yeah. Uh, Zach Braff. Mm. Yeah, from Scrubs fame. Mm-hmm. JD from Scrubs. So, I mean, he, Garden State's like written and directed by him and he's the main character in it. And I mean, I reckon if I watched Garden State now, if it came out now, or uh, I was this age when it came out, I think I would think it's a bit melodramatic but because when I when it came out, when I saw it, it really clicked with me. And I really think there's just something about it. I think. And and yeah, and like I do, I do think it's a bit like. It could like, and you know, I love my dramas. I think it could be there could be a little more levity at times. But it's I a bit think heavy handed. 
it is a bit heavy-handed. And you know, I think, it lays it on a bit thick. Yeah, and I think it's probably a reaction to the silliness of Scrubs. That I'd really, say so, yeah. yeah. He really wanted to kind of, he didn't want it to be a half measure. He wanted to go for it, which I respect. And and for the most part, I do think it's, it's, a, it's a really great movie. And I think there's some really beautiful moments in it. But the one thing I always accredit the film to is its soundtrack. The soundtrack to Garden State, top mm. to bottom, is just brilliant. And it was, it was selected by Zach Braff himself because the movie was his baby. So, I mean, you can obviously tell a lot of the songs are reflections of music that he was listening to and was probably getting him through the problems he's kind of espousing in the film. But the, there's one scene early on in the movie when he goes back to his hometown and because it's about his mom dying, I think. Yeah, his mom dies and he has to come home for the funeral and he's kind of been living in LA trying to be an actor and he, he comes home and it, all his friends are kind of doing the same shit. And there's just this scene where he, he gets home, has a talk with his dad and then he goes into the garage and he opens it up and there's this scooter that uh, you find out later in the film that uh, someone says to him, that's a really nice scooter. And he goes, yeah. Because it was my granddad's. When he died, he left absolutely nothing to know to anyone except the scooter, which he left to me. And I stick it. I love. But when he gets on the scooter and he drives out uh, the the garage, the driveway, or whatever, and down through his old estate, uh, caring is creepy by the shins. By the comes shins. On. And it's the opening track off of Oh Inverted World, which which had its 20th anniversary last year or this year. I remember we got like the 20th anniversary edition into work and it reminded me, I was like, fuck, this is a great album. And I went back and listened to it. And that opening track, Caring is Creepy, every time I listen to it, I think of Garden State. And every time I watch Garden State, I wait for that song to come on in that scene when he gets the scooter out of the garage because it's just... And I remember the first time I saw that movie, I was, I don't know, I was over 10 or whatever. And I was kind of in a metal, metallic and stuff. And I had no idea. I had a big world of Indian math rock and emo yeah. ahead of me that I was going to love. And I remember those just hearing those opening notes and that, I think I'm alright. And the fucking, and the build up before it kicks. I just think it's a beautiful, lush song. It's a great album opener. And I think that use of it at that, and I think there's so many great uses of music throughout Garden State, but that has always been my favorite. It's one of my favorite film soundtracks, and that's just, that's definitely one of my favorite uses of a piece of music in a film. I love it. Shin's caring is creepy from Garden State. Nice. Um, my number two is uh, it's pretty far from that. <laughs> um, yeah. This is this is from a movie that I love unashamedly. Um, again, I'm not saying it's the best movie of all time, but Zombieland is Zombieland's dope. I love Zombieland. Zombieland is Zombieland. a really fun ride through murdering loads of zombies. Woody Harrelson being awesome. Jesse Eisenberg not being as annoying as he usually is. It's just a great movie and it's just about zombies and about killing zombies and it's about how killing zombies brings this ragtag bunch of characters together. But I know at you're the very say. start of this yeah. movie you hear Jesse Eisenberg in his voiceover and he says, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And then, bong. For Whom the Bell Tolls by Metallica kicks in over a montage of zombie death and destruction. And when I tell you that when that kicked in in the cinema, I lost my shit. I lost my shit. I was like a one-man circle pit in my chair. I was loving it. And you, you do... There is something about hearing music on cinema speakers, you know. That's why, you know, I think that 
you know, with the likes of Hans Zimmer's of the world. When you listen to them at home, it's not the same. But when you listen to it in the cinema and fuck, ah, oh, it blows you away. But when you hear For Whom the Bell Tolls, again, a bit like Master of Puppets, a song that I have heard countless thousands of times. But you hear it in the cinema over a montage of zombies dying and chasing people and eating people. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah, I think I was 16, 17. We would have been in our late teens about when Zombieland came and you're a bit older. Yeah. So I'd have been about 16, 17. You would have been about nine. I think it was 2009 or something, was it? Uh, I think it was 2009, yeah. Yeah, so we would have been in like our late teens then. And it was the same thing. I remember being in the cinema and being just all hyped up to see this stupid, funny zombie comedy and... And, uh, and, and knowing, you know, that feeling where me and the boys are kind of like, you know, you almost know that at least two thirds of this crowd, this is their first time here at Bell Tolls. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, the boys are like, no fucking way. Uh, <laughs> so great. And, and hearing it in this big modern, but yes. Uh, and, and you can never hear Bell Tolls without kind of wanting to pull out the fucking, the rifle and start marching up the hill a bit. Trudging, a little you know? bit. Yeah. Ah, that song, man. That is such a fucking brilliant use of like, because a lot of time I find that metal gets used in movies in a really kind of weird like. It's so cheesy. It's awful. you know, it's but they ah, Jesus Christ, they pitch it so well in, in just the opening of Zombie Land. Ah, it's so great. Modern metal songs, like I was talking earlier about how Sugar Coated Sour by Dillinger yeah. not fit in Horror in the Attic. Mo- <laughs> the only time like modern metal and hardcore and shit fits without being cheesy in a modern movie is when it's being played in like the crack den that, it, that yeah. the cops are going to break down you, there's nothing worse than hearing Parkway Drive during a fight scene <laughs> that's cringy as fuck you know I, I don't I don't want to hear a day to remember you know this is a battleground yeah. on a battleground you know that shit don't work no but, no but, but, but it takes it takes the right editor and the right sound guy and the right yeah. it takes the right set of ears to, to be piecing together the opening scene of Zombieland to be like bell tolls and I, I wonder the first time the first time that they played it, like, you know, I said, uh, when it's going to be a bumpy ride. Bong. And they must have just been like, yep, that'll do. Print. Yeah, that's it. And it is, it's just part, it's probably one of the most iconic parts of the whole movie. It really is. Oh, absolutely. It's fucking amazing. It's it's up there with the Bill Murray cameo. Um, it's absolutely perfectly done. So that's my number two. What's your favourite? Your favourite, well, for now, assuming that there's probably hundreds you've forgotten <laughs> I, I, I've forgotten so many about like every single second I've been sitting here I've had 50 more pop yeah, in my yeah. Head. And I'm just like oh, we'll do a volume 2 oh definitely we'll I'm well up for doing a volume 2 for this definitely yeah. so going off of my my number 1 for now for now I, yeah for now this is the top 3 this week dear listener yes that, yeah. I, I, I'm cool with that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit we're busy adult people with adulty brains and shit so I, I the the Next week, I could come up with a completely different top three when I have time to think about it. Same, absolutely. So, I just—I was nearly going to go with. I can I just guess what your number one is? Yeah, but it's going to be wrong. Go. Your number one is without a doubt "All Star" by Smash Mode from Shrek. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's not. It's "All Star" by Smash Mode from Rat Race. <laughs> 
or, or any other fucking movie that was released circa 1999 to 2001. Like. That just featured the music of Smash Mode. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, no, I decided to go with my favorite filmmaker, Wes Anderson. Okay. Wes Anderson is my boy. And I and I do have people kind of look at me sometimes because I love Kevin Smith and I love mm. stupid stoner comedies and I love Quentin Tarantino and I love violence and action. But I'm Wes Anderson I'm, is a genius, man. He's a genius. He's and a I'm, genius. And you know, and I think I am I am living proof that you can have absolutely no aesthetic skill but appreciate Wes Anderson I can't draw a fucking square yeah, properly. yeah. I, I can't draw a cube I have the worst like even when I tried if I've, if I've ever tried to make short films in college and stuff the I, my storyboards look pathetic you know <laughs> I'm very much it's all up in here but I can't fucking I suck it like that so but even I like every single frame of a Wes Anderson film takes my breath away that's amazing the dude is just, he's an auteur, if I'm using that, if I want to use that word to be super pretentious. But he's just my favorite filmmaker. I adore all of his movies. And <clears throat> the most obvious one, which I chose not to do because I didn't want it to be, you know, <clears throat> that depressive and linked to suicide is, so I will quickly mention uh, Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith in The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. But that scene when Luke Wilson tries to take his own life. It was actually when you mentioned Wes Anderson, that's that's what my mind went to. I was like, oh, is, is that what he's after going to? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. there's actually uh <laughs> there's a buddy of mine. Uh I'm not I'm not sure if he if he's listening to this or if he has time to, because he's got like a child now and shit. <laughs> but uh so he's he's a busy, busy man. But I was his best man at his wedding, and he's one of my best friends, and we used to live together and I remember I used to work for Phantom FM radio station in Dublin and I had to like, we were doing a special for the show on Elliot Smith because it was like his anniversary or something. And I had to create the sound montage of Elliot Smith songs and had all the files on his laptop and kind of because of my laptop was broken or some shit. So I was editing the, the, the sound collage together on his laptop. So I left all these Elliot Smith songs, like albums, like digitally on his, his laptop. And he he just kind of started listening to them. And he said it to me, he goes, oh, who's this Elliot Smith guy? And I said, oh, he's this folky kind of indie mm-hmm. guy. You like him because he's into a lot of that shit, more of that shit than I would even be. So I got, I'm not the hugest Elliot Smith fan, but I told him, oh, yeah, check out this album and this album. These songs are great. And Elliot Smith's music's dark. And oh Smith's man, music, it's so dark. It's so dark. And like it's, so it's dark. the perfect music to soundtrack an attempted suicide. Exactly. So the scene in the Royal Tenenbaums when Needle in the Hay plays is a scene when the dude is in a bathroom and he closes the door and he tries to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And, and that song's in the background and then it keeps flashing forward between him preparing to do it and him being rushed to the hospital. And it keeps flashing back and forth between him about to do it, him in the hospital and, and Needle in the Hay is playing. And it's a harrowing scene. Mm. And I, I it, it's just an amazing, powerful, poignant use of music in a film. But I chose not to use it as my number one because it's quite heavy. But I will say that when I was living with my, with my mate and he was about a week into this Elliot Smith binge I came he, he was in college I was at work and I came home from work and I remember like shouting his name I was like oh dude where you at you home and I hear and usually he'd be in the living room and, and, and I heard nothing I'm like yo yo bro you, you home and then all I hear is 
And I creep up the stairs, man. And our bathroom door is closed, which it never is. And I can see the glow of light coming from under the door. So the light's on. And Needling the hair is coming from the bathroom. Jesus Christ. And, and I just, you know, this is what happens when you watch too many movies, kids. Yeah. I immediately ran to the door and was like, bye, bye, are you all right? Bye, like, bang, beating the fuck out of the door. You're like, pulled up the door, like, what is wrong with you? I was like, nothing, nothing, just... just, just Elliot Smith, bro. He was like, looking at me all confused, like, what is wrong with you? And and then I just said to him, I went, Royal Tenenbaums. (laughs) And then it clicked with him and he fucking, like, fell over, like, laughing in hysterics. Because then he realised, he was like, holy shit, I was in a bathroom with the door locked. Yeah. With the light on and needle in the hair playing, and you came home, and I was like, Yes. Was it like, sends a particular song. message. Like, it sends a particular message when that song is intrinsically linked to yeah. that scene in a bathroom. So, yeah, I didn't choose that as my number one. <laughs> <laughs> I chose another Wes Anderson film called The Darjeeling Limited. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is a delightful film with uh, Adrian Brody, Owen Wilson, Owen and Wilson, Jason yeah. Schwartzman. Mm-hmm. And who's also a dynamite musician. He makes music under the name Coconut Records. Oh. And Coconut Records is the, the, the prettiest indie pop ever. Like he's had members of Incubus collab with him and everything. He's Coconut Records, another conversation for another time. But Darjeeling Limited, there's the opening scene. <clears throat> and basically that movie is just about three brothers reconnecting on a train going through India. Mm-hmm. And, and they haven't spoken since their father's funeral. It's, it's it's a very Wes Anderson premise for a movie. It's super Wes Anderson, yeah. <laughs> super Wes Anderson. So, and like practically every single Wes Anderson film, even if he's just on screen for five seconds, Bill Murray has to make an appearance. Of course. Even, even though, sadly enough, apparently he is not going to be in the new film because he contracted COVID right just as filming has started. So no. Steve, Steve Carell's had to replace him. So this would be like the first Wes Anderson film since since his first movie, Battle Rocket, I think, that Bill Murray won't at least have a cameo in. But that's another conversation again for another day. <laughs> I love Wes Anderson. But there's the opening scene in the Darjeeling Limited when Bill Murray, he has no lines in the film. He's just a dude in a dodgy taxi getting sped to the train station to try and make his train. And the, and the movie, so the movie just plunks you in with like Bill Murray in the back of his car getting zigzagged around the place and the taxi driver's trying to rush him to the train station. He gets out of the car and he grabs his bags and there's no music on yet. Like it's just the sound and hustle and bustle of India. And he's like rushing to, into the train station and he starts running uh, to his train and the train just starts to pull out from the platform and he's running and running. And then the next thing, and like, so um, these first minute, this first minute you've been following Bill Murray and you kind of think, oh, maybe Bill Murray's my character that I'm going to be spending time with. And, and then Bill Murray's running with the cases and the train just starts pulling away. And he kind of realizes at that moment, he's not making the train. And just as he kind of starts to slow his stride because he's accepted he's missing the train, Adrian Brody just zooms past him and he's a little taller with his suitcase and just passes Bill Murray out and jumps onto the train at the last minute. And Bill Murray's like, what the fuck? And the kinks this time tomorrow kicks in. (laughs) 
And it's just the, this moment of Adrian Brody getting, grabbing the train and being like, thank fucking, he locks eyes with Bill Murray, who's missing the train. He's like, how the fuck did you do that? And I couldn't. And it's just, down, 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 down. And the kinks just kicks in and it sets the tone for yeah. the movie perfectly. And then you just see the Darjeeling Limited on the back of the train. And from the moment I saw that film, I that that immediate, like it's a beautiful opening scene. It's so well shot. It's so funny. It says so much. Just Agent Brody coming out of nowhere and overtaking Bill Murray and getting onto the train. And just as the Kings kicks in, I, it was one of those moments where I was immediately like, "What is this song?" And I didn't. This wasn't like smartphone days. This mm. was like, this was oh, next, yeah. This was oh, next time I'm in my mom's office after school and she's on her lunch i'm going to google and try and find what this fucking song is like and uh, i just think that song is just i love i love that song i've never been the biggest kinks fan i'd be a kinks greatest hits type of guy Same. but but i absolutely like when the sun is out if i've had a long day if i'm just chilling if, if i really just want like a nice like the, the kinks man this time tomorrow it's just a beautiful little old folk indie pop ditty that just it's, it's a bit like the yard birds and it just has that old it has that old soul to it that i and i'm not the biggest guy fan of that shit but when there's the special ones are yeah. special and there's something about that song oh, that the I kinks still, are fucking the kids, yeah. like the, as uh, I'm exactly like you, the greatest hits, like, but fuck me, what a yeah. greatest hits it is. Exactly, and that this time tomorrow, I just think is such a sweet, lovely song, and it's one of those ones that starts one way and then it just kind of blossoms and unfolds into something else, and I just think it sets the tone of that movie perfectly. It's uh, that's actually for for today. That is my favorite use of a song in a movie, that opening scene in the Darjeeling Limited with This Time Tomorrow by The Kinks. And a quick aside, yes, I also was very conscious not to talk about the fact that the entirety of the soundtrack to The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou <laughs> by Wes Anderson is one of the greatest soundtracks of all time with, with all of those Portuguese folk David Bowie renditions. That's a podcast unto itself. I was just going to say, that yeah. feels rife for discussion. Um, yeah. That's a that's a really great show. And that ultimate scene is superb. Um, I, that movie deserves a rewatch. I'm going to watch that really soon. I went back last, just around last Christmas because French Dispatch had come out and yeah. I hadn't, and I couldn't think of, I, I, French Dispatch had come out. I'd only seen Isle of Dogs once and I was just thinking about how I, it had been so long since I'd watched so many of them and I did all 10 over Christmas. I went from, from like no November, from, I'd say between November and February, I went from Bottle Rocket to the French Dispatch. I did all 10 in order nice. and it was it was a t it was a great old time. I those movies I'll watch and watch and watch till I'm old and grey, man. I must I must do something similar actually with Wes Anderson. He's great. Um my my number one, um, and I know we're saying we could do loads of these and change them up every week, but I, I actually think this might just be my favourite. Like it, when I thought of this concept, this is the first song that came to mind. Um it's one of my favourite movies, High Fidelity, um, starring John Cusack. It's like it's a it's a movie about music and each of the characters in it it reminds me a little bit of myself and there's just so much about it that I love and it it tells a story of a guy counting down his top five heartbreaks and all the stories around them and it's I, I, I just love it I love everything about that movie it's it's funny it's silly it's dark it's 
it's dramatic, it's sad, it's it's got everything. It it does everything, and John Cusack's performance in it is is fantastic. And as I said, it's about music, so there's plenty of moments in it that I could have picked as as my favorite moment. Um, when Jack Black comes in and puts on Walking on Sunshine and does the it's dance, amazing. And it's so perfect. Um, I actually didn't pick High Fidelity because I had a feeling that you would. And yeah, everything you're saying, I'm just, I am backing you in the corner completely. High Fidelity, everything. You're so on the money. It's so brilliant. And I also love the kind of, the fake out at the end where they're like, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? But then he announces that tonight we're not Sonic Death Monkey. We are, you know, Barry Jive at the Downtown Five or whatever it is. And, uh, and And then they play Let's Get It On. Oh, and he sings that so well. He Jesus Christ, so good, so good. But so it's the whole movie is a journey for for John Cusack's character to. It's a personal growth, and you know his dealing with his own infidelities and learning how to be a better partner and be a better boyfriend and all this to to Laura. And at the very end of the movie, he looks directly into the camera and he says. I've started to think about a mixtape in my head for Laura, full of stuff that she'd like, stuff that would make her happy. And for the first time, I can kind of see how that's done. And then he turns up the music and I believe when I fall in love by Stevie Wonder kicks in. And, ah, man, it is the perfect way to tie up that movie. It's a beautiful song. It's a song that I love so much that I have told my girlfriend that if we ever go down the marriage route, that is involved in whatever satanic ceremony we do. <laughs> that song will be at my wedding at some point. I think it's a perfect song and it's it's just, it's played over the credits, but it, the lyrics of it, um, they just represent so much that has gone on in the movie and it's that, you know, I believe when I fall in love this time, it will be forever, you know, and it's, it's John Cusack's character coming to that point where he's like, now I know how to make my partner happy. And this is a song that she'll love. And I'm just like, perfect. And honestly, it's, it's become one of my favorite ever songs. And I listen to it sparingly, but when I put it on, it just fills me with fucking joy. And um, that movie is the same. Every time I watch that movie, I'm just transported to a world of brilliance. And yeah, that's my favourite musical moment in cinema, I think. You know what? Really quickly, you it's so funny because you said about when you watch High Fidelity, it, you, all three of the guys who work in the record shop remind you of yourself. Yeah. And I, I feel that way as well. I think most music nerds do. I think and so, I, yeah. I only rewatched it myself a few months back because I made that work texted me in the middle of the night and just said I'm currently watching High Fidelity and he says I was trying to figure out which one of them reminds me of you because you're all three yeah <laughs> and then I just said oh, I'm going to watch High Fidelity again and like that I could watch High Fidelity any weekend because it's just same that movie's like chicken noodle soup for my soul you know same man uh, I love it there's uh, uh, actually just on that uh, my girlfriend had never seen it so I was like oh we got to watch High Fidelity this is about I don't know, maybe six months after we started going out or whatever, so we sat down and watching it and at the end of it, I was like staring at her like, what do you think? What do you think? You know? And uh, she was like, oh, I, I loved it. And then she was like, you know those guys in the record stores? Like, you're like all of them. <laughs> and I was like, yes, exactly. And here we are five years later, we're still together. <laughs> you know what's funny as well is I know that it's, you know, it, there's actually a song 
uh, I know they're cancelled now, but uh, Moose Blood. Oh yeah, uh, I, I think that I like. I mean, those for those first few albums are really good. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, they, they are. There's What's the one? Uh, it's got a pink cover, Bloom or Blush? Blush. Blush, Blush. I, Blush I, is I, really I, good. I found it in a bargain bin for six pound, and I took it home because, like, I'm sorry, it's, it's good, good tunes. Like, but there's, I do think it's very. I, th- I think one of the things that made them so big so fast on their first album was that a lot of the lyrics are very music nerd oriented and very yeah. kind. Of, there's a there's a great line, you know. Let me hold your hand, and we can talk about our favorite bands, and I'll ramble about how Nevermind still blows me away. Yeah. And uh, but then I did, there's another great line in the song where he's like talking about like I want to make you my girlfriend. I want us to you know go for walks in the park. You know, want to make you watch High Fidelity with me on a Sunday, maybe one day. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like oh we're all so basic. It's yeah. like a thing we all do is music nerd lads. We're like, have you seen High Fidelity? You know, we, we got to watch High Fidelity. Yeah. Some Sunday. Like it's but it is that movie, man. And then and then another thing is. And I, I just and I leave it here because again we can talk about high fidelity all day. Oh. But I, do you remember one of the times? I'm not sure if I, we were together for it, but one of the times I saw Lower Than Atlantis live, who are a band you and I both had quite an affinity for back in the day. Absolutely. And and I when I just really started to click with them and fall in love with them, I think it was my third time seeing them live. I, I saw them three times in total. I think it was the third time. And when they came out on stage before they they opened with motorway of life off of world record but before they opened they had the sound bite of john cusack from high fidelity talking about you know uh you know people trying to ban cigarettes and alcohol and stuff you know no one ever cares about young people exposing themselves to thousands literally thousands of songs about yeah. heart betrayal uh you know broken hearts and unrequited love and and then you know i ask myself you know, am I miserable because I do, the, do I listen to pop music because I'm miserable, miserable or am I miserable because I listen to pop music? Yeah. And I just thought, what a fucking, what a perfect way to open like a yeah. punk emo show. Then like with that. So that movie has obviously resonated with so many of us. Ah, oh, man, it's how could it not though? And and although even the top five things, I mean, like yeah. us today talking about our top three, that it's just and even you know, there's so many moments like the. You know, when the when the, he's talking to your one, the ball guy about he's like Green Day are the components of two was, bands. Yeah, yeah. Flash and he's like, and this great Irish band called Stiff Little, Stiff Little Fingers. Fingers. Yeah. He puts on Stiff Little Fingers and this one turns out, is this the new Green Day? And he's like, he doesn't even answer her. And he just shakes his head. Ah, oh, it's so he good. And it rolls his eyes. Yeah. And it, there's a cameo in that movie too when I just love John, John Cuse actually leans into your man behind the counter because the shop's pretty full and he goes, I am going to attempt to sell uh, five copies of the three EPs by the beta band by yeah, the end yeah. of the day. And when he puts on the beta band and everyone starts vibing, Ian Williams from Battles. And, oh, no way. And Don Caballero. Yeah, yeah. He He's like standing there like grooving at the count, grooving at the like record stall, just kind of look. And he just looks around. It's just, I don't know why the fuck or yeah. how the fuck he did it. But like Ian Williams is such a distinct looking dude. And he's just vibing away to the beta band. And also, while we're on the subject really quickly, I love how that scene in when they catch the skater guys, the punks. Yeah 
shoplifting and they chase after them and they drop all the shit and it's like Joni Mitchell shot at you stealing for someone else you so how do you even know those are for us man <laughs> you know because they're all like spiky haired and tattooed and shit he's like there's no way you guys are listening to this shit he's like oh yeah you guys are just going to get blasted to some Serge Gainsbourg it's like like you even know what we like bro and it is <laughs> you can't assume anymore anyone can look like anything and like exactly anything. That's- beauty of it too like that movie says so much man i like i love i love high fidelity i love high fidelity like uh, like probably uh, not to be like too meta about it but probably top five of all time for me Um, yeah yeah same yeah i fucking love it and and also one last thing i keep saying one last thing but this is the one last thing i forgot how rife for for detours this particular topic would be i thought this would be a quick episode that's man. Have you read the book, High Fidelity? Of course, yeah. Yeah, they filmed that scene, the, the one scene that's in the book that isn't in the film, which I really, I get uh, everyone couldn't make it in, but I even love, I love that they filmed it, you know, when John Cusack's character in the book, uh, Rob. Rob. That, yeah, that Rob gets, uh, he gets the call from this woman that, you know, oh, I have all these records that you can take. I don't want them for your record store. And he goes and he's going through all these records and they're all, they're goldmine of amazing yep. rare pressings. And he kind of says to her, you don't want these records? And she goes, no, they were my piece of shit husband and he left me. And she was like, and I don't care if he's coming back, but I'm clearing out his shit now. I don't want any of it. And there's like, I think he actually can't bring himself to take some of the records because it's just wrong. He's just of the, it's like the vinyl gods will judge him. I think there's like a, an original pressing of like, you left the water running by Otis Redding. And he goes like, I couldn't take it. He says, I could have brought it to the shop and sold it for like a thousand dollars, but I can't, I can't do that to another vinyl collector. There could be a day he comes back. And he says that if that day comes, no matter what he did as a lover and collector of music, I can't do that to another one, no matter what he's done. And it's it's so bad, but there is that there is that kind of sense of shit, like where you wouldn't do that to someone. That scene um, gets an episode in the in the remake, the Zoe Kravitz. Um, oh, the you, series! I haven't seen series. that. Um, it's complete worship of the book and movie as existed, and it's a little bit kind of you know, the gender swapping stuff and everything. But I actually really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, it's well worth, it's well worth a watch. You know, it's, it's not better than the film, like obviously, but it, it is good. Oh, this is it John Cusack in his prime and Jack Black on, on the come up. Yeah, so great. And, but, and uh, this is Nick Hornby's writing. Yeah, great. Yeah, just what, what a perfect movie to, to, to top us off with. What a perfect movie. Um, Yeah, so that was, that was actually a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back and do another, um another topic like this with you. Um, at some point but uh, yeah that was brilliant so there are top three plus about <laughs> four thousand other little mentions of um musical moments in cinema um, for today just for, for today. today volume um, one yeah you're really straight you want to come back to this don't you <laughs> yeah man now no, you've oh, pandora doesn't go back in the box bro That's she only sure. comes out that is for sure but um, that was episode 20 of For The Record that was a hell of a ride my friend um, um, we'll be back next week discussing an album and it's oh, going to be, it's it's be good fun yeah it's going to be good fun we're going to be talking about Black Midi Hellfire and I think there's going to be some possible Hellfire in the discussion about this awesome record I can't right wait I can't <laughs> wait to talk about the album with you yeah, uh, so that's episode 20 in the books uh, my name is Tierney music is the best I'm Buggy thanks for tuning in as always bye